0: welcome to the big sky astrology podcast with april elliott kent and me producer and co-host jen brown hey friends jen here today is february 15th 2021 i'm coming to you from minneapolis where it's minus nine degrees fahrenheit over there in san diego where I'm guessing it's not below zero, <laughs> is my good friend, astrologer April
1: Elliot Kent. Hi, April. Hi, Jen. Well, you got that one exactly right. I was telling you it was a bone-chilling 47 degrees or something here this morning, which is just <laughs> terrible for us. Well, I hope you're staying warm over there, my pal. Oh, yeah. Plus, we haven't said recently where
0: we're both living, I don't think. So sometimes it's helpful to throw that out to the audience. Just so they can
1: locate us on their mental map exactly. of the world. And speaking of warmth, we got the most beautiful, warm review. Yes. Would you like to read the review that we got? Absolutely. Well, it comes from Art Goddess Mama, which sounds pretty groovy. Right, from the start. It does, yeah. Who writes, Whenever I listen to April and Janet Big Sky Astrology Podcast, I feel like I'm listening to my girlfriends having a chat about astrology. But it's not just a chat. They know their stuff. Every time I listen, I learn something new. Love the insights, the sincerity, and the warmth that exude from these funny and witty women. That is
0: so sweet. Oh my
1: gosh. It's so lovely. I love that so much. I love that we are exuding,
0: that we are exuding (laughs) things. Thank you, Art Goddess Mama on Apple Podcasts.
1: We really appreciate this review. We did. You kind of made our day. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you if anybody else out there would like to leave a review, It's not just to make us feel super great about ourselves, although it does, (laughs) but also it seems to be one of the surefire ways to improve the visibility of a podcast so more people can discover our show. And plus, yes, it does make us feel really good. So thank you, Art Goddess Mama. (laughs) You always like to boost your self-confidence a little, don't you, April? Well, I do. I mean, everybody thinks that Leos are just brimming with self-confidence, but little do they know. So often, we're just like the cowardly lion in The Aww. Wizard of Oz, where you're trying to pump yourself up and try to convince yourself, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. Holding your tail. Yeah. <laughs> with the little bow yeah, on the top exactly. of the <laughs> I love that movie. Remember, you know, I know I have said this before, but I really think the sun and. our birth charts—it's aspirational. It describes what we're trying to learn to be. And if we already knew how to do it, we probably would have chosen for the sun to be in a different sign when we're born. That's my particular belief system. So know when a Leo is getting scary and yelling and growling and thinks that underneath there's the little pussy cat. We're trying to convince ourselves that we're big and brave, folding your tail and thinking about the bow on yeah, your head. Yeah, holding our little tails and <laughs> shivering. Well, we have once again this week, my friend, we have a very full show sheet. So, where shall we begin today? Well, this week we are going to start
0: with what is arguably the most significant planetary aspect of 2021. April, can you do a drum roll? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. The first of three squares between Saturn and Uranus on Wednesday, February 17th at 11.07 a.m. Pacific Time, 7 degrees, 13 minutes of Aquarius and Taurus. Saturn and Aquarius, Uranus and Taurus.
1: Well, we have lots to say about this, but you did say that you had a little way of conceptualizing this, that you are finding is very helpful for people you're doing readings for or anybody else who is kind of trying to get their minds around the astrological way of looking at the world. And you have an astronomical approach that you would like to share with us.
0: Absolutely, because when I was first learning astrology, it was really useful to me to learn this. Let's start with Saturn Most of you can probably picture Saturn with its rings around it, and most of you probably know that it's the sixth planet from the Sun, the one just after Jupiter. But I think it's also worth mentioning that Saturn is the last planet that you can see with the naked eye. And it helps to remember that, because what Saturn represents is tied to this idea, that it's a boundary between what is known and what is seen and what is familiar Saturn, and Uranus, which is the next planet after Saturn in our solar system. So, of course, that means that Uranus lies in the area of the cosmos from the Earth that is unseen with the naked eye, that was unknown before some guy with a telescope in 1781, quote-unquote, found it. Mm -hmm. So Saturn, with its rings around it and its physical placement in our solar system, represents boundaries, limitations, reality, confinement, rules, tradition, structure. And Uranus, which rotates weirdly on its side, its equator is basically at a right angle to its orbit, represents the unconventional, the unpredictable, freedom and originality and innovation, and that which lies beyond what is expected. So that's a little bit about Saturn and Uranus and just their physical placement in the solar system. And I think it's just helpful to kind of put that in a picture in your mind Mm -hmm. when we're talking about what they represent and where they are, because, you know, I think it's even more interesting when we think of Saturn here in Aquarius, which is the rule-making planet in a sign that likes to break the rules, and Uranus, which is a planet that likes to break the rules, and the sign of Taurus, which just kind of wants things to stay the same Mm -hmm. and is sort of, you
1: know, uncomfortable with change. Yeah, and thank you for that. That's a lovely explanation and a really good way, especially if thinking about Saturn and the reason that it rules boundaries and the known universe and this kind of thing. But what you're building up right there is absolutely the profile of these two planets in conflict over the coming year. Yeah. So a square is a contentious aspect, a 90 degree angle between these two planets But the nature of a square is such that both planets have to be honored. They have to learn to coexist, and by coexisting and by learning how to yield to each other to some extent and then also how to stand their ground on what's important, then we end up with a situation where both planets are strengthened, ideally. But getting there is not easy and it's not gonna be an easy year. This is the closing square, actually, in a cycle that began all the way back in nineteen eighty eight. I bet a lot of our listeners weren't even born then. That is very true. And of course I've becoming one of these people, you know, pushing 60 this year that I go this can't be right. If somebody sends me a questionnaire and they put 1993, and I'm like, they're not old enough to be getting it ready to go, oh, wait a minute. They're having their Saturn return. (laughs) They're having their Saturn return. (laughs) So as the people now who are having their Saturn return were busy being born, we had this cycle that began with Saturn in a conjunction with Uranus at between 27 and 29 degrees of Sagittarius. That's where this all began. And we had the conjunctions and we had some really nasty stuff happen in the world. We had a big mass shooting in California. We had a terrible industrial accident at a metal plating plant in Indiana where, you know, it was a confined space industrial accident, which is such a perfect metaphor, really, for Saturn and Uranus. Confined space being Saturn. And then you have this accident, which is Uranus. Then there was a square between the two in 1999 through 2000 and an opposition in 2009, 2010. Along the way, what we have seen is basically a pattern of violence, I have to say. We see a lot of shootings at the critical moments in this cycle. And I think it's just the pressure really builds between both Saturn and Uranus. And when they come together in an aspect, it kind of releases some of this friction, some of this energy building between the two planets and the frustration between two planets that are so unlike each other.
0: Yeah, it's fair to say it's a
1: clash between old and new. Yeah. And it is where we are seeing high-profile shootings and accidents. And then coming into the opposition in 2009 and 2010, we started seeing the rise, too, of the Tea Party on the political right of the United States and conventions and protests and this kind of stuff happening. We also had that big BP Deepwater Horizon incident, which was just catastrophic ecologically explosions, shootings, protests, accidents, all of these things fit, unfortunately, pretty well with the combination of Saturn-Uranus coming together. Because as you say, to make progress as a society, we have to transcend our boundaries. It's how we have done all of the great things that have been done throughout history. But there are powerful forces of inertia as well. Of the status quo, people for whom things are working don't have much of an interest in seeing the boundaries expanded to include more people, for example. So, we're going to
0: see a lot of that this year. What would you say to somebody who listens to that and gets worried or thinks, well, how can I claim some of my own power then when you're talking about kind of these scary things that happen?
1: Yeah. It is a good question. And the difficult part of it is that these are societal planets and these are societal trends. Now, society is made up of individuals. And the best we can probably do as individuals is work as consciously as we can with both sides of this equation, with taking responsibility and authority over the things that are. Hours to do something with. We can't control everything. We're not in charge of the whole world. Our boundaries are our boundaries. But within those boundaries, we have to work against our own inertia, our own desire to keep things the way they are, because it's very threatening to step outside our boundaries and try something new. Idealistically, I like to think that if that is handled on an individual basis for as many of us as possible. It doesn't have to erupt so violently in society,
0: if that makes sense. It does. And it makes me think about how when things happen that you have no control over, sometimes what can be most helpful is to take a piece of paper and make two lists. Make a list of what you do have control over and make a list of what you don't have control over. Mm -hmm. And then take positive action towards the things that you do have control over. And with the things that you don't have control over, is there some way that you can take one small positive piece of action? Can you call a representative? Can you send a donation to someone? Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes, and especially right now, so many of us feel like the world is really out of control. And if we can just figure out what we do have control over, sometimes
1: that helps. Right. And where our responsibility lies. And Saturn in Aquarius reminds us, well, we do have a responsibility to society, It's not just about us individually. But that is, again, well, okay, what parts of society? How much do we have a responsibility to? That's the Saturn question. I like to focus on Saturn because I think Saturn's not the easiest planet in the world, but he reminds us where we can take action, where response is possible. And so it's to your point of finding the ways that you can... Contend with this conflict within yourself and within your immediate community. And depending on your disposition, other planets in your chart, the person that you are, your boundaries are going to be different than mine or Jen's. It's going to be maybe you're an activist and you're really actively going out and getting involved in helping in the community or even in peaceful demonstration The problem with Uranus is it tends to escalate. You know, it's like that meme from Anchorman where it's, well, that really escalated quickly. I never saw that movie. Oh, my gosh. You have to see that movie, Jen. (laughs) We welcome new sponsor, Anchorman, a film from probably 2000 with Will Will Ferrell. Ferrell, Yeah. Oh, of course. I love it. It's set in San Diego. And I find it quite hilarious. Yeah, there's this meme of, wow, that really escalated quickly because competing Anchorman getting a rumble. I'll link it in the show notes. Please do. (laughs) So society is going to do what society is going to do. The world's going to do what the world's going to do. But I guess what we want to say is you have the ability to respond in your immediate environment, whatever you consider your immediate environment. So I hope that helps. There's plenty to worry about, but worrying in itself isn't helpful usually. It's how do you act within that? You know, you don't need astrology to tell you that there is enormous tension right now between the people that want to keep things the way they are and people that are demanding change. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what this year is about to a great degree. This year, we get our first kickoff. So take a look around you on February 17th. If you listen to the news, watch the news. Even if you don't, things will have a way of showing up in your Facebook feed or Instagram or whatever that will be of the nature of this combination of Saturn and Uranus. Pay attention to it. It's giving you a message for the year ahead.
0: You know, you mentioned all these things that have happened in the past around these dates. And if somebody were to ask, are you saying that Saturn and Uranus
1: caused all these things to happen? What do you say to that? I say, no, it reflects it. Astrology reflects the world around us. I don't believe in a causal connection between the planets and the affairs on Earth. We say that there is a coincidence that the two reflect each other, sort of like the sea reflects the color of the sky. That's how I answer that. And ask 20 astrologers, maybe you'll get 20 answers. But I don't know a lot of astrologers personally who believe in a causal model for astrology, a causal mechanism. We just don't think that way. We think it's a poetics, if anything, where there is a cosmic sympathy between what's happening on Earth and what's above.
0: So here we go. And this is the first of three. So I think this week we might pick up on what the theme is. Look around in your life because there will be stuff going on in the world, but there's also stuff going on in your own personal
1: birth chart as well. Right, and see what you can do to take control of that and make conscious change in your life. Maybe people want to book a reading with you, April. Maybe they do, and we can just talk about it one-on-one.
0: I'll link that in the show notes. Please do. (laughs) What's up next, pal?
1: Well, next we have the sun entering the sign of Pisces this week on February 18th at 2.44 a.m. Pacific time, and it will be in Pisces through, of course, March 21st, and here in the northern hemisphere, that's the vernal equinox. The sun talks about how we shine and about the things that energize us and bring us joy. Each month that the sun is in a particular sign, it first comes on the scene and really shows all of the dirt and the hairballs all the debris and everything in this area of your life. So that you can really say, oh dear, this place needs tidying up. So you just find the house of your chart where Pisces lives and that tells what area of your life is going to really need some sprucing up while the sun is in Pisces. What if someone doesn't know their birth chart? I have a blog post on my website that we will link to. Mm -hmm. And it's easy in this day and age to compute your chart online. You can go to astro.com. And in my video, I show you how to identify the symbol that you're looking for. And that will help you figure out which house of your chart
0: I heard someone say recently that you can also, if you don't have a time of birth, you can put your sun in the first house, and that that is also helpful. It's useful.
1: That is exactly how astrologers write horoscopes. They put the sun on the ascendant, and then all of the other planets in the sky, you know, all of the aspects that are happening that week or month or whatever, correspond to what we call a solar house in the chart. It's all referenced to the sun at that point, which is fair enough. The sun is very powerful and really important, and it's the thing that everything else revolves around. So you can get a long way, actually, using those kinds of charts. If it's the best you've got, it's OK. And then it's a question of how you calculate the houses of the chart with reference to that. And what most people will do is take the degree of the sun and minute that becomes the ascendant, And then each subsequent house is the same degree and minute, but of the next sign. For instance, if you have the sun at one degree and 20 minutes of Pisces, that would be the ascendant. And then the second house cusp would be one degree and 20 minutes of Aries, which is the next sign, and so forth around the chart. So that's normally how that works. Okay. That was a little off topic. That's okay. But the house that the sun is going through in your chart during, you know, any given month is a house that will come under examination. It's where we feel the need to put our best self forward. And it's a clue to the things that we can pursue that will energize us. With Pisces, it has something to do with putting aside schedules and to-do lists and indulging in some dreaming and some imagination. And that's easier to do if you've already laid some groundwork. I was telling you about this big master calendar I made for the year that's on the wall of my office (laughs) that I sat down and did the very Virgo work of figuring out what I have when and all my deadlines and all that. So now I could do the Pisces thing of all I have to do is drift over to my wall calendar and say, oh, yes, I have to do that today. It's a nicer way of doing it, I think.
0: Pisces is the 12th, and if you're learning astrology, final sign of the zodiac. Mm -hmm. Does that give us information about anything that would be helpful for folks?
1: Well, yeah, because what's happening is we're getting ready to come to the energetic new year at the equinox. This is very much like the 12th house or the balsamic moon, the dark of the moon, that period of two and a half days before the new moon when the night sky is its darkest and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. I mean, Pisces is really about looking in the unexamined places. That's what the sun will do in Pisces. A lot of dream work, a lot of unconscious work, a lot of delving into the parts of ourselves we don't normally look at is probably helpful. Release and letting go. Yeah, there's a lot of that because if we think of Pisces as the symbol of everything that has collected in an, in our entire journey of the cycle, in this case the solar cycle that takes a year, you know, we have static electricity and we pick up all these particles and all this debris along the way.
0: Mm-hmm. The
1: Pisces time is the time of sifting through it all. It's similar to the reason that we dream, which isn't completely understood. But it seems to have something to do with filtering through all of the things that we've collected during the day of consciousness and the subconscious and the mind going through and saying, okay, we need this, we'll keep this, but this can really go. And this will shove way off in a corner somewhere in case we need it later. So it's a kind of a triage for things that we've picked up. And I think the Pisces season is good for that. It's not to just throw everything out, but rather to go through things. And maybe sit with them and have feelings about them, and explore those feelings, so that we can come to a sense of completion with them, and then release them into the wild and let them go. Yeah. Jen. Yes. Do you know what time it is? What time is it? Moon watch. Moon watch. <laughs> Play it. <laughs> Oh, my friend, I love to sing Moonwatch with you. (laughs) Me too. This week brings us a Gemini first quarter moon on February 19th, the day after the sun has gone into Pisces, 1047 a.m. Pacific time at 1 degree and 20 minutes of Gemini, with the sun, of course, at the same degree of Pisces. The Sabian symbols for this first quarter are 2 degrees Gemini for the moon, Santa Claus furtively filling stockings, And the Sabian symbol for the sun at two degrees, Pisces, is a squirrel hiding from hunters. Both of these symbols have this furtive quality, but with a really different spirit. The moon symbol is a little happier. You know, it has that Gemini happiness of the whole sign trine. So by sign, Gemini is trine Aquarius. The spirit of that is eventually it will trine Mercury, Venus, Jupiter, and Saturn Aquarius. And we know that because they're both air signs. Right.
0: Which you made a worksheet for folks once,
1: and we can link that in the show notes. Yeah, that was a helpful one, I think. Yes. So the first quarter moon is always the part in the lunar cycle where we are called to take action, instinctual action. I kind of like that little Santa Claus furtively filling the stockings. And I tell a story on my blog this week. This is the degree of my descendant in my chart, which rules your partner. That's nice for your descendants. Yeah, it kind of is. I describe how my husband has this really good quality that he's acquired over the years of really paying attention to me throughout the year. And he makes notes or he takes pictures back in the before times when we'd be out and about and see things. And he would sort of collect them and very furtively, you know, collecting the little notes and then buying the little presents you know, like a little squirrel, Mm -hmm. putting them away in a secret place, or just kind of filling the stockings, the little gifts for later. And this is a nice first quarter moon, I think, for getting out a little more of ourselves as the squirrel hiding from the hunters. But I think maybe at this first quarter moon, I know here in California, things are opening up a little bit, There is some disagreement, as always, about whether the timing of that's appropriate or not, but things are opening up. And this could be a time of collecting experiences or things or whatever we have been not in a position to really do for a while. Sure. Yeah, it's an action-oriented first quarter, as they always are. It's also very communicative because it's Gemini, so reaching out and making contact with people. Although, I don't know, for me, it's getting really easy to be that little squirrel hiding out. (laughs) Johnny had to convince me the other day to go to lunch at our favorite Mexican restaurant. Mm -hmm. And this is a place that's been very careful with protocols. I mean, they took over a parking lot outside Mm -hmm. their restaurant, and you're sitting very far away from everybody. And it was a delightful experience. But I had to really be convinced because I'm out of the habit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's so easy to stay inside. It does take practice. It does. It's going to be very strange when this time is finally over, and we all have to remember how to be in society <laughs> together. <laughs> I never was that good on it. so I'm, I'm really losing the neck that I had. You're more like the squirrel, maybe. I'm more like the squirrel. And, you know, Johnny is very much the Santa Claus. And he's much more sociable and wants to go out and be amongst people and that kind of thing. So that is, again, just like when we were talking about the Saturn square Uranus. This is also the square between the sun and the moon, and the tension that's here is about holding on to what you've got or burrowing where it's safe and hanging on. You know, squirrels collect nuts and they hide them places because they have to. At the beginning of the pandemic, when everybody was hoarding toilet paper, it was a similar kind of thing where we're all being <laughs> little squirrels. But now there is more of a generosity of spirit, I think, with that moon in Gemini as well. Yeah.
0: You know, I thought about how the squirrel hiding from the hunters, Uh as you were talking, I was
1: thinking, well, we don't know what they're hunting. They might be hunting mushrooms. Oh, very much so. It's tough sometimes to know when you're really in danger. And I'm not talking about physical danger necessarily. I'm just talking about, for instance, people being afraid of this virus and wanting to be really, really careful. And some people are more that way than others. You know, the hunter... Immediately what came to mind was Stephen Forrest's take on Mars, which is, you know. What's that? Mars says that you're either the hunter or you're the prey. Oh. (laughs) Here we have both. You know, we have a little squirrel being the prey and and, then the hunter. So there's some kind of Mars thing in there perhaps too. Mm -hmm. So that is our first quarter
0: moon. Well, speaking of Mars, next up we have Venus squaring Mars on February 19th at 3.04 p.m. Pacific time. Venus at 23 degrees Aquarius, Mars in Taurus. This is the closing square, isn't it, April?
1: Yes, it is. Venus in a closing square to Mars. And this cycle began back in 2019 on August 24th at 4 degrees at Virgo. Then in 2020, we had several opening squares in January and June and in September. Wow, that was drawn out. Well, Venus was retrograde. And I think that was part of it. Venus went retrograde in Gemini. That's right. And then there was the opposition, November 9th. The next cycle will begin in July of 2021. So here we are in the closing square. There is a desire for pleasure and harmony that we see with Venus and it this week is in conflict with a desire to get what we want for ourselves. That's the problem between Venus and Mars when they are square each other. Now it can be a very physically exciting combination. People might find that that realm of their personal relationships is kind of exciting more than usual. But in terms of getting along, just comfortably kicking back and watching Netflix together, It's harder, you know, when you've got Venus square Mars. They're more apt to want to be quarreling with each other or maybe doing something active together, you know, playing a game together or whatever. Venus in Aquarius wants to pursue hopes for the future. Mars in Taurus says, this is fine. What we've got right here is working. Partners can disagree. And sometimes the nature of the disagreement would be one person wanting more freedom. That's the Venus in Aquarius. Versus the other wanting to maintain the status quo, which is Mars and Taurus. I saw something on TV this morning that reminded me of the Sabian symbol for Venus at 23 Aquarius, which is a big bear sitting down waving all its paws. It's exactly what this bear was doing. And he looked like he was having so much fun. He was so cute. That's great. And just laying on his back and just waving everything around. So we can all be like big bears this week, lying on our backs or sitting down and waving all of our paws Mm -hmm. and having a good time. Mars is on 23 Taurus, a jewelry shop. I think the Venus in Aquarius maybe is the bear that's just having a good time, just wanting to enjoy himself in the moment. But the jewelry shop, that is very much a Taurus image, isn't it? Yeah. The Mars, the Taurus is like, okay, well, it's all well and good to have fun, but are we going to get a ring involved here? Is it time to get serious about this? Do we feel that we have the autonomy individually that we want? There's a lot of tension there around this spirit of freedom and excitement embodied by Venus and Aquarius, along with Mars and Taurus. It has a much more conventional idea of what should be happening in relationships. A lot
0: of Aquarius-Taurus happening.
1: Oh, so much. Oh, so very much. Yeah. Well, finally this week, Mercury will station direct February 20th, 4.52 p.m. Pacific time at 11 degrees and one minute Aquarius. Mercury turned retrograde on January 30th and it will turn direct and then it will leave its shadow on March 13th at 26 of Aquarius. How you been doing with
0: this retrograde, pal? our refrigerator decided to die. Yes. Alert listeners will remember (laughs) that I have discussed my refrigerator problems in the past. You have.
1: Yes. The good
0: news is it's winter in Minneapolis and so we could just put our stuff outside overnight. But the squirrels will get it. So you have to be
1: a little bit careful
0: because they're Uh, keeping their eye upon you. That's right. How about you? What are you noticing?
1: It actually has not been super bad around here at all. And I always worry when Mercury turns retrograde in a sign that it's strong in. So Gemini, Virgo, or Aquarius are the strong signs for it. And it was in Aquarius this time. Often I've found that there were problems there. I think my husband has struggled with it more than I have, but he's trying to do a lot more mechanical, electronic, technical stuff around the house. Sure, It's been aggravating. It's been frustrating, as it often is. But it has been a really interesting time for me to look back. And it's something we often say about Mercury Retrograde, people will come to you from the past or memories of people from the past. And I've had a lot of that in the last week or two. But I think that's good work of Mercury Retrograde because it really is about reviewing, isn't it? Yeah. Mercury, as we've said very recently, in fact, is about how we tell our story, how we frame the things that happen to us in our lives. And when it's retrograde, it's a good time to review that framing and that story. Yeah. Good point. Well, my friend, that is everything on our show sheet. Have we done it? We've
0: done it, which means I can turn on the little heater by my feet (laughs) that creates background noise again.
1: Jack and Bear should have been cuddled up with you to keep you warm instead of sitting over on the couch. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review, and maybe we'll read it on the air then we hope that you will help us spread the word by telling a friend. You can read show notes and full transcripts for every episode and leave your comments at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. We're so grateful to everyone who showed
0: support during our podathon. Each week, of course, we thank some of you by name. Who do we have this week, pal?
1: We have three listeners whose names I can hopefully pronounce. (laughs) This week, we want to give a Big Sky Astrology Podcast shout-out to Beth Willis, Lori Schaefer and Roxanne Kennedy. Yay! <laughs> Beth, Lori, and Roxanne, we appreciate you all. And we thank you for listening to the podcast and for supporting us during our pod-a-thon. And if you're a listener who didn't get a chance
0: to support us during our Podathon, you can always make a donation at our website, bigskyastropod.com. If you donate $5 or more, we'll invite you to our special episodes for the equinoxes and solstices.
1: And you'll also get our donor-only bingo card. It is fantastic. Well, that is it for us this week. Join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground. And your eyes on the stars.